Want entertainment designed just for you? Then check out customizable streaming TV from Xfinity. It makes your life simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity gives you customizable streaming TV options. Enjoy the most free shows anywhere on any device and even access your streaming apps right on your TV with X1. Go to Xfinity.com, call 1-800-XFINITY, or visit a store today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Welcome to Drop the Mic with your host, Darren Jenkins. What's up, yo? This is... Darren Jenkins, and you are on another edition of Drop the Mic. It is Thursday, July 7th, and it is hot outside. Can I just tell you, it is hot. It is crazy hot. And I'm inside the studio with no AC at the moment, because it was making too much noise for the show. So, that's okay. We'll plunder through it. So right now we're just waiting um, for our guest that's going to be coming on in a few minutes. Um, until then, um, you know, I got to vent a little bit about some stuff. One of the things I wanted to vent about was this whole um, Kevin Durant thing going into OKC. I know it's not film related, but we do talk about other things on the show, and I... I just wanted to kind of give my two cents. So Stephen A. Smith, Charles Barkley, a lot of people have come out on the side that he kind of sold out to accomplish um, this thing and get a championship. And I don't know, I kind of don't agree with it. I think a person needs to be able to, you know, so if you were... If you were in uh, accounting and you were one of the best accountants at a company that maybe it's it's a good it's a good company, but it's not the best company. It's it's a good, very good company. Um, but you, you know, you worked there for nine years. There's no ceiling. That I mean, there's no upward going to, you know, the, no promotional opportunities within the company per se. And, you know, you really want to, you know, expand your horizons. Why in the world would you stay at the same company for, you know, for what reason? Just because your best friend works there? I just, you know, I think he needs to be able to do, I mean, Kevin Durant doesn't want to make the same mistake that Kevin Garnett did. Which was stay in Memphis, uh, Minnesota, excuse me, uh, for so long that he almost waited too long to go to Boston to win championships, and that's you know an NBA's uh, NBA player's life span is so short, and their promotional window is tied to that, and the money is tied to the promotional window. So I don't hate on him. I don't like that he's in Golden State because I'm a Knicks fan, and obviously that's a conflict for me. But I don't have a problem with him trying to get his money, and I don't have a problem with him uh, going to uh, to Golden State 
I mean, what's he supposed to do? Go to a, a losing team just to satisfy everyone else? Kevin, you get yours, man. Get yours. So we're going to um, try to get our guest on here for a second. And um, let me see what we can do on that. Anyway, um, we've got a lot of stuff coming up from the New York Film Loft side of things. Um, if you haven't been on our mailing list, you should get on our mailing list. And you can join that by going to NewYorkFilmLoft.com and signing up on one of our pages. Um, we've got some awesome events coming up. We've got DigiTalk Media Networking, which is coming up. That's going to be a really good event. Um, so what we're trying to do is, you know, a lot of television people, a lot of uh, brands, a lot of agencies have reached out to us kind of to ask us if we can connect them to, um, to, to, to content creators. And so, um, and I think we have Marty Shea coming in right now. And I'll finish that thought in a second. How's it going? Good. How are you doing? We're doing good. Doing very good. Uh, thanks for coming on the show. Absolutely. Yeah, I've been listening. <laughs> so you caught my rant on De the Kevin Durant thing, huh? I came in. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just, you know, dude, I, I, I'm listening to uh, all these different talk shows and stuff during the day, and they're just piling on them so i wanted to give kevin a little love there <laughs> no problem yeah well it's a good warm-up good warm-up act yeah 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 so hey so how are you doing this week so how been a short week so um i know it's probably i'm glad you you know got the chance to jump on with us because i know usually with short weeks people have that much more stuff on their plate Yes, um, but it's I, true. You know, I, I really wanted to kind of talk to you about collab feature, and um, you know, some of the, you know, I'm gonna start. I'm gonna start here, and this is where I'm going up on your site, and I'm looking at some of the testimonials from all these different uh, filmmakers around the world. Oh, sweet! And I'm gonna read one for you here from. Uh, Julianne Block from Berlin, Germany. And she says, to work with collab feature is a creative, incredible, rewarding, challenging, and truly unique experience. And 
that, uh, you know, that says it all. I, w- I would love to hear more about where you guys decided to kind of come in and do this. Tell everybody a little bit about collab feature and then kind of get into a little bit about your motivation. Absolutely. Um, it came out of my, my creative partner, Ian Bonner and I's um, journey through the world of filmmaking. And um, I've, uh, I freelance uh, for other people on bigger projects and national commercials and some studio movies and, and these, but uh, we started out uh, getting into this because we wanted to make films and write stories and tell stories. We do some theater as well. And we got into the short film business, so to speak. Um, and, uh, you know, our first short film, I think, is unwatchable. I mm-hmm. think our second one is wasn't finished. And then we started making some good ones. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, finally got to that point where we made that short film we loved. And it did well in the festivals, won lots of awards, got distribution, played on PBS. Wow. You're thinking, this is great, right? This is, uh, what, this is what every filmmaker wants. Yeah. And this gets you to the next big level, right? Um, but the problem is that the film business, and, and even more so now than it was even, say, five or six, seven years ago, is so difficult, challenging, overly saturated. There is so much great talent, so many great means of making inexpensive quality projects, um, great stories to be told. We see that all the time. Um, but even some great feature films uh they don't even make a dime unfortunately they give them, even some that go to the, the top film festivals and win awards really struggle to um to make uh to be highly successful on the revenue end um with some great exceptions that were you know that's great to be great to see those happen and uh careers launched and all that um so we decided it might make more sense instead of a bunch of us talented people competing with each other and all being all tours, why don't we unite? So kind of that's our motto, filmmakers unite. That's how we started Collab Feature. And it's a for many filmmakers to contribute small pieces, small manageable um, pieces um, without stretching yourself thin of a bigger picture with a feature film a series. Um, and or documentary or other kinds of content. Sudan, we've got South Africa, we've got Iran, filmmakers from all over five continents. Um, We've actually had an Australian, which put us at uh, six continents, actually, um, and uh, over 35 countries. I can't even keep up with the latest count. Probably, probably 40 by now. Um, and um, how do we find them? And, and I must tell you at the beginning, I had no intention of this being international. That just wasn't something that crossed my mind. It was about the filmmakers I saw in front of me, which were filmmakers in Detroit, New York, Chicago, L.A., people I'd met on the film festival circuits, mostly in the Midwest, where I'm from. And um, we started talking to them, 
and started a message board. And then the international people started to find us by Googling or whatever, word of mouth. Um, once we realized there was enough international filmmakers, we actually scrapped the first project we were starting and said, we got to do something international, super simple, and get it done. And we made The Owner. That was our first feature, which premiered in 2012. Gotcha. Uh, so, so where, so where did you get into the? So, for me as a filmmaker, right? I I know the exact moment when I, and I think this is probably the same for my generation, right? And everyone will say Star Wars, right? I mean, everyone my generation will say Star Wars was the place where the time when they looked, they sat in the theater, and it was like the light went on, knew that this is what they wanted to do. When did you have that light on moment? I might have had a couple stages of that light, but when I was a kid, my favorite movie was Back to the Future, and my name is Marty, so it spoke to me. I believe that my name would allow me to travel back in time, I, I think. Right. Um, <laughs> then, um, and I also was always a very imaginative kid, so I would make up stories. I would People tell me I'd run off and the, at family reunions. They'd find me in the corner, mm. kind of like talking to myself and being like a little weird kid. Um, what I didn't realize is that that was that's filmmaking. You just needed a, you just needed some some people to help you. Um, but then um, when I got a little older, the um, the series Twin Peaks, and then I fell in love with David Lynch's filmmaking. I didn't watch a lot of cinema, you know, when I was a kid. So having that a kind a show by such an auteur filmmaker on network TV. Right. Uh, really exposed this kid from the Midwest who didn't see that kind of thing, who didn't feel the presence of the director. That's, that's what mm. I would say that show. And that really triggered a lot of my um, exploration uh, from, you know, Hitchcock to all kinds of um, modern and classic filmmaking. Right. And, I was, and I knew that that's what I loved. I wanted to do it. I actually was watching... Um... I, I usually, if I'm home, I'll watch the, the, the Twilight Zone marathon uh, whenever it's on because it usually runs on 4th of July every year. And, uh, and and I sit there and I go, you know, watch some of the stories that he, you know, they put together for that show. And I'm like, wow, I mean, you know, just who thinks, who, who can sit there and think about this dude who's alone in a town and it's like this psychological drama that is or isn't what you think it's going to be. And I always thought back that, you know, there's, there's this period of filmmaking where um, it was so much more cerebral and because, you know, they had less to work with, right? So you had, in order to get that depth of, you know, the storytelling that you wanted to get, you couldn't rely on special effects and that stuff. So I kind of... I always love looking back at that the, that time of cinema. Um, and my one of my favorite films is uh, uh, the original uh, Invasion of the Body Snatchers. I, I'll sit there and watch that anytime. You know. So, uh, is there are there filmmakers that you know like now that you think are you know in, that you look out and go, mm, I love what this this person's doing, and um, how have you seen any filmmakers that, that have come into your collective that you have some kind of like aha moment where they're you're like mm, they're, they're 
they tell a good story. They do some good stuff. Uh, the first question was just if, if there's kind of a filmmaker out there, like a, a, a successful filmmaker that we're looking up to and, and that kind of thing. Yep. Um, I, the first person that comes to mind is is Richard Linkletter because his mm-hmm. film, um, his very first film, very indie, no stars, no plot. It's called Slacker, and it follow. He just decided to write a bunch of. I think he'd written a bunch of scenes and kind of, uh, kind of dialogue-driven scenes and, and linked them together. Yep. And if you haven't, for those who haven't seen it, it's literally you'll have two people talking. One of them walks away, and you follow the other one to a new person. They start talking, and there's a few little exceptions to that, but for the most part, that's how the film works it's just people talking there's a little murderer in there somewhere but um and that was a big eye-opening moment where it just told me people are interested in new ways of doing things Mm -hmm. and that eventually led to the concept of what if we did the same thing but with different filmmakers linking together and that is something very important about how collab feature works is we don't make anthology films this isn't about assembling a bunch of short films together. This isn't about being a variety show or anything like that. This is about making the kind of features and series that, that are people's favorite shows. And we're trying to get closer to, um, you know, being really big on on that. And Mm -hmm. we've already made two features in us first season of a series so far. And Slacker was, Slacker was made for like almost nothing. I mean, that was like, I think it was like twenty three thousand or some ridiculously yeah. low amount of money. So film shot on film for some yeah low amount of money that um, really became a huge influence on movies like um, like Kevin Smith and that kind of indie movement of mm-hmm. the early nineties. Mm-hmm. And this guy just wrote stuff that you could. You, it was so distinct. The dialogue is so distinct. These characters are so real people you know and nothing happens you do meet them and they go away and that and it feel it feels like life that mm. is like you're just moving through people much to do about nothing right so it's <laughs> uh that that's a that's a style i have i'm pretty i there was a film that i wrote uh, i actually interviewed a filmmaker who his film was at uh i believe it was the Brooklyn Film Festival, and it was also at uh, Palm Spring, and um, I, I saw it, and uh, it's called When I uh, When I Become Silent. It was a Japanese um, film, and it has this kind of same quality. It was, you know, you go into it not expecting what, knowing what to expect, and it was not, it wasn't, you know, he purposely went into it without trying to make it a story. But it just kind of let, you know, these characters be who they are on film and let the audience decide, you know, whether to like or hate. And it was a story basically about um, the LGBT community in, um, in Japan, which is, you know, at that point in time was very uh, underground and not really understood really well. So I, I was a... If you get a chance to check it out, you should check it out. Remember the name of it again? It's called When I Become Silent, and it was by a filmmaker. His name is Hyo Yamamoto. Um, I can actually send you uh, – I might actually have a copy somewhere because I, mm. I, I got him to screen it at one of my um, 
our film festivals actually a few years ago. Um, Wait, okay. Yeah. Um, so I'm going to dive a little bit more into the filmmaking process and stuff. And um, my question, I guess, for you, so um, as a film filmmaker, you know, is there any specific, um, you know, thought or, 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 or premise that you kind of try to take into, into the projects that you kind of create? One of, the, one of the things I actually wanted to ask you, and let me dive, because I'm all over the place right now. Um, let me ask this question. When you decide on a project for the collective, how does that process work? Because, and someone else asked me this too, because they, they come across your site, thought it was a great idea. Their, their question was, so how does the process, how does the decision making come into what projects to work on? It's actually democratic. Um, everything is um, decided by the current contributing filmmakers. Um, and the first, uh, all three of the, f the first projects, the two features and the series that's, um, we're close to finishing the first season on, um, have started with a different filmmaker having one idea mm -hmm. that then kind of morphed into something else and with some input and then sitting down and taking this kind of like, I like something about this, but I don't know how it will work for our situation necessarily or budget level or whatever, gets um, kind of ironed out and then um, announced. You know, once enough filmmakers say, yes, we want to do this idea, hmm. then we announce it to the new filmmakers and they can kind of say, yes, I'm interested in this or not. Currently, um, we're getting kind of full on this current series but we need a few filmmakers from certain areas but um when a new filmmaker comes in they apply they fill out an application and submit their work mm -hmm. and that goes to other filmmakers who then vote and kind of rate their work and discuss a little bit who should be in or not but the filmmaker also gets a chance to say yes i'm interested in the current project or here are the next top say five to ten proposed ideas which of these are you most interested which are you somewhat interested in and based on that so that based on the new filmmakers response and the current ones that is what will decide mm -hmm. what the idea will be so, so anybody can suggest the idea but it comes it's a voted on via the collective as a democratic process absolutely exactly and it's voted on but we also have to have enough commitment to launch a project we can't just say well 30 people said it sounds good but you know, they need to uh, agree that they're going to be a part of it. Sure, sure, sure. And then they get a, then they get a vote in, in fleshing out the outline, deciding kind of the rules and the timeline and all that. What happens to, um, so how do you, so is each person responsible for whatever their shooting costs are going to be? Yes. So the first two films we made with no funding at all, no outside funding, no overhead funding at all. Uh, my partner and I would pay for, you know, shipping a backpack around the world. And then the little things that, that had to be paid for, we even pooled together, um, you know, 5 or $10 here and there to, to pay for our festival run. Um, the new one um, does have a little bit of funding for the filmmakers, which is great that we finally have that. 
and we are working on getting more and, we're, and we've got um, some possibilities for one of our projects in particular. I don't, I don't want right. to talk too much about that because it's not for real, right. but um, that would be what we've always wanted, of course, is what every filmmaker wants is funding. But what we do when we don't have it or we don't have enough, we get creative and we split things up. And that's the, the ultimate, we um, move forward with what we can. Which is awesome because then there's no real excuse for a project not to get made. Which exactly. is always a dream for every filmmaker to kind of get into that environment where they can, don't have to necessarily always worry is that the, that's, that's the most main point that they can kind of, you know, burden, like spread the burden across a, a bunch of different people and uh, get that film done. Exactly. Interesting. Mario, so... Of course, I should add that uh, the revenue that we've made from the first film and soon with the second um, and all projects goes back to the filmmakers. And throughout the process, we have a point system. Hmm. Um, and so as one filmmaker... Is more active, and, and whether that's in the creative and production and post and promotion, um, and this is sort of again democratically moderated. When somebody says, "You know, I did this big contribution. I think I should get more points," it's usually a pretty simple discussion of, "Yep, I think that's right," and we have some captains and all that. So hmm. they um, there's two ways filmmakers get revenue, and one is through screenings they get 100% of whatever they generate from their own theatrical on their own city. Right. And, um, and that's what happened with our worldwide release of the owner. And then any further revenue gets split up. Nice. Wow. How, is there, do you guys have a limit on how, like a cap on the number of members that you have at any one time? Because I could see maybe you'd want to do that. I'm not sure if that's something that you guys do or that does it, or is I the think, curation of the process, the, the natural like cut off. Yeah. It's sort of the limits of what's available at the moment. And, uh, we've had over 4,000, um, applicants to the project mm -hmm. and many, many of them are on waiting lists for the next project. So if, we two things have to happen. We have to have enough uh, people, you know, committed to one of those. But we also have to be have um, administration time to, um, you know, plan for these and and be able to focus on them. Of course, so we're getting um, much. But we're our, our new site is getting made. That's going to allow a lot of that stuff to happen more automatically. Oh, so you're creating an, an, a newer site than the one that you have up there now. Yeah, in fact, I didn't even mention that. So there's a login. Once you're in the project, you log in and you get all these features that help make this very complicated process um, as efficient and smooth as possible. So you have a home page, you have review pages, you can pitch ideas, get instant feedback, and start assembling outlines and so forth. Um, some of that is still, a lot of work has to be done manually. Right. Um, but the more we automate things, you let the computer do the heavy lifting, and we get to be creative. Right. Yeah, you don't want to spend all your time trying to manage the the, the process. You just kind of want to put more towards the decision making of what projects to do, and then 
and ministering and then running them, which is and yeah, and and coming up with great ideas and there's a dialogue and shooting and editing and um, that's what we want to do. And so, yes, exactly. The less admin, the more we can do and the better it will be. So what is your, like if you had um, one ultimate goal for um, the, the organization, what would you say that would be? Um, if you could have anything happen, if, you know, your wishes, your command kind of a thing, what sure. would you want it to happen for this group? There's probably a lot of goals. I think the big thing is we want to, we want the, the idea of collaboration to reach its full potential. And we want our team of current and future filmmakers to all be able to, to reach their full potential and really see, um, see a big really have a big hit with one of our next projects. Um, I think we know that the first two were made to do it in a way. They were very experimental concepts. The second one especially, um, not everybody gets it, but the people who do love it. Mm. But want to make something that has a broader appeal. And our new series will be, is... Um, definitely made with that in mind and I think is going to be a, a bigger, much bigger um, success. But we have even, we have more projects down the road that I think will get us there. Are you working on your own? So like outside of this collective, are you doing any of your own work, um, film, television, any of that stuff? I still freelance um, and um I've kind of been taking, doing less of that because I'm focusing a lot more on collab feature right now. Mm-hmm. And um, but when I freelance, I usually either production manage commercials or um, I work with agencies and produce commercials. So it's been a lot of that, which is quick jobs that allow me to you know go and make a little money, come back. Um, in terms of my own creative stuff, I've pretty much put all short filmmaking on hold, and I've. I do. I'm a filmmaker in collab feature. I still film segments, sure. storylines, and write. And uh, Ian and I also um, have done some theater, some local theater writing. Oh. That keeps us. It just gives us something fun to do that's outside of the sometimes stress of running an international project, and it keeps us uh, keeps our creative juices flowing. What's your favorite part of the the process? Writing, editing, camera, like what? what... You know, like if you could pick one thing to do forever and ever, what would you think? What would that be? Um, it's either directing or writing. Mm-hmm. Um, Sometimes I, I would probably love directing if I didn't have to produce and direct at the same time. Uh, yeah. That's rare for me. I almost <laughs> always end up being the producer, even when I have a co-producer or whatever. I still can't. Um, but I love writing and I love writing collaboratively so I rarely write something all by myself I don't think I'm that good of a writer but I'm a good collaborator I have enough ideas and and, um, moments of inspiration where when I work with someone like Ian who's a much more solid traditional like you could if you could just sit down and write a a short story you could write a novel if you someone you said you're from the Midwest? I live in Detroit. Oh, you're from Detroit. 
Oh, yeah. Are you a Lion fan or? Not so much. Um, I'm I'm not a big sports guy, but Tigers are are my would be my team when I get into sports and when I I occasionally go to a Tigers game and follow them. Usually when they start getting big, Um, was a big fan. My dad was a big Tigers guy, so he would take me to games when I was a kid and all that. Um, What's your What's your poison when you're not working? What, What what kind of stuff music or your music person or I am I do go to a lot of concerts and um not so much lately I, I just went to the killers uh mm. concert a couple months uh a couple months ago and I'd seen I've seen them a few times and I love them I think they're they're just one of my favorite bands um mm. I'm a big U2 fan I love their um social message and they're just inspiring kind of music like yeah. that yeah. um I like I like you know if you, could, if you could pick any career other than film to do, is there something that you would be interested in trying? Um, two things come to mind. One, I am very interested in um, in the kind of the tech side of things. Um, I'm not a coder myself. Um, again, my partner Ian is a coder. Um, he's does a lot of uh, that's his day job as well. But um, I have, we have lots of ideas for cool apps and platforms and um, just, I love to look at things that then, that I think are problems and think about those solutions for them. So I think I'd be, I'd probably, if I gave up on film, I'd go into that in some, some way <laughs> or something humanitarian. I'm, I'm always, I'd love to um, join, you know, like uh, the red the one campaign or the red organization that the, they're, they, yeah. um, those two are in common. I think they're, they're both funded by Bono yeah. um, or Amnesty International, that kind of thing, or politics. I would probably hate it, but love it. <laughs> Trust I, me, I've worked in politics for a little bit just doing like um, graphic design stuff. And my father was in, the, in politics and my brother's actually a political consultant. And... I, but there's a lot of money. There's a lot of money in it. That's for sure. Yeah. I don't think, I think the bad thing would be when you realized you're doing it for the money or, you know, if I was going to go into it, I would hope I was already kind of like, um, I'd have to be independently wealthy so I could just go in to be, yeah. uh, you know, part of a campaign and um, what little I've done, like volunteered here and there. I've loved it. So I think I would, I could get into that. Yeah. I, I, I totally agree with you on that because uh, being in, I, I'm, you know, I don't want to do anything that I'm only doing for money, regardless of what it is. I actually used to be a very, really quite successful comic book artist, and oh yeah, 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 yeah. I worked when I was in high school. I would, I worked a fair amount um, and made a good in college, same thing, and but it, you know. It's the grind of doing it, and when you're that young, you know you have these ideals of, you know, it's going to be all fun and design, and yeah, I can just do art. And then you realize it's not. It's corporate. It's money. It's people making decisions for you. It was, you know. So I just like, eh. I, I put the skids on that, and um, you know, one, one day I'll, I'll I'll jump back into it. But for now, you know, I think. I, I just kind of like keeping my the things that I love separate from 
you know, too much corporate environment. I mean, obviously you have to, but mm -hmm. it is what it is. So. I like to do, I'll do corporate stuff for brief periods at a time. That's yeah. kind of my, well, I have a tolerance and then I hit that and I got to get back to creative stuff and I'll, I don't care about what kind of money they have, they're offering at times, you know? Right. Yeah. I think, I, I think there's a, you probably, if we polled most filmmakers, they probably will all like a good percentage will say probably around the same thing, except for, and then you have that small subsection that are in it for the money, but that's probably because they are making lots of money. So sometimes, yeah, I, I've heard that, uh, I think it's, I've heard this for music, but I think it applies to filmmaking that for some people, um, filmmaking, um, making money is filmmaking is an excuse to make money for some people right. but for other people making money is an excuse for yeah. just make films and uh, i think some of those people who are you know it's like yeah we want the money because otherwise we can't make the film but yeah. they're not in it otherwise go work at a bank or be a lawyer whatever you know there's go there's yeah. jobs there you can go do that if you just want money but if you if you're here you're pretty you're usually here because you love it and you have that sort of I sometimes call it a disease. We we have this thing. We can't help it. We have to make films. And um, I'm even trying to convince um, some of our potential funders that that's the key to um, collab feature. Is like you know we don't need a lot of money. We just need enough to um, to get these films promoted and and make you your money back. But we're here because we love it. Right. So we're not going to get rich we'll ha we'll let you get rich first we just want to make awesome stuff and then um and then let the money pour in from there if it happens yeah you know that's i think the right way of approaching it because you know you know if you if you're doing it right the thing that you love will eventually become the thing that floats you and keeps you keeps you solvent and keeps you able to do what you start it's it's you know the the similarities between um, being an artist, being a musician, and being a filmmaker are very similar in the sense that you know if you're in it, you're not in it in the beginning for the money because there is no money. There is there's zero. I mean, if you got money, that you're lucky and you should be happy and all that good stuff. But if you're in it, you're in it because you love doing it. And then as you love doing it, you hope that people will see that love and, and and enjoy it as much as you do thus bringing in that money and, and allowing you to do more of what you like to do um, but if you're coming into it to be rich yeah you got a better chance somewhere else it just you know yes yeah. it's, it's it's about the art I, I should hope even in this day and age with how easy it is to make film it's still about the love of the process that I think drives most um, mm -hmm. creators. The easier it's become for you, the easier it's become for a lot of other people. Yeah. So you, you're actually the, the, the um, competition has dramatically increased. Um, oh, yeah. And you know, Micah from Film Funder, mm -hmm. he's got some great statistics on how many people are in film school and are bankrupt from film school, mm -hmm. are, um, have spent money on their own features or their uncle's money or whatever. And um, it's staggering, and it's millions of people basically competing for very few slots. Yep. And in most cases, the winner isn't chosen because they're the 
definitive best. They're just kind of in the right place at the right time. They knew somebody, they um, played the politics game right. And um, we, that's I think more so, more reason now than ever for filmmakers to unite and learn how to play well with each other and we can go really far. I totally agree. I actually had this conversation yesterday with a, a post house that um, is interested in working with us to help other filmmakers. And um, what's funny is is that um, even though from the filmmaker standpoint we don't we don't think it's out there, um, the conversations I've had with different corporate entities and some brands and some bigger um, bigger voices in the industry is that um, be, to be quite honest. They are looking for us. They want us. They need us. And but they don't. But at the same time, it's kind of like because there's so many of us, and it's because it's so easy for you to go and make a film. You pick up your phone, make something. You can got cameras. You got all kinds of cameras now. You can just go shopping tomorrow, spend a couple hundred bucks, and be doing some stuff. And because it's so it's like a dearth of people out there doing stuff um, the, these it's it's like trying to put it's trying to like get a thousand filmmakers and squeeze them down into one little funnel and then at the end of that funnel is where the brands want to sit with their hands out as they come out finished and that's an almost you know improbable thing um to happen on a lot of levels and i completely agree that model has has got to it's either going to burst or somebody's going to replace it or or people are just going to go on pretty much getting abused i think yep yep i I think i I think and you know i'd be curious to hear your your thoughts on this real quick is i think the secret will be for us to get the filmmakers a little younger um earlier in the process um at the film at the high school and maybe Mm. the college levels maybe junior colleges and maybe even those that don't have an opportunity to get into the schools but they have the hunger and the talent to kind of do it and get them the knowledge and the equipment and the opportunities earlier so that way at least if you have all these opportunities you're producing quality and at that point, when the quality of the lower end filmmakers starts to rise, I feel like that will ch- that will kind of change a little bit of, of how brands can approach people now. Because at that point, it's no longer about quality; it's about access. And I think that's kind of where the failure is in the schools right now is that when you leave school there's not really a place you just it's kind of like this cliff you you're at school you're making all this stuff you graduate and then the cliff it drops off and you got to figure out how to bridge that gap between school and actual doing something that can sustain you while you make this trade your craft you know so uh, and i yeah. hope that we can you know between collab feature and new york film loft and Film funder and all these other companies. I hope we can all kind of help foster that that situation. Absolutely, I, yeah, I totally agree. It starts um, it starts with high school. It starts maybe even before. Yep. That's when people start to fall in love with this medium. 
And what's happening instead of their schools teaching them any of the reality, what are they seeing? Oh, so-and-so is on Snapchat and YouTube and um, being silly on their phone and getting a ton of attention. And then the guy who wants to make a serious, um, you know, drama or whatever is probably never going to do it, never going to actually achieve that with uh, the state of the way things are now. Yep. Well, um, this was, I'm so glad you got to come on with us today and talk. I'm looking forward to personally engaging you uh, outside and, you know, I know we were, work, we're talking about doing some stuff together, but I'm glad you got to come on the podcast with us today and um, looking forward to seeing what else you guys are doing. Um, if For everyone who's out there, make sure you check them out, collabfeature.com. Um, Marty, thank you so much for jumping on the call with us today. I really well, appreciate you, it. And um, we'll see you in the netherverse, man. Thanks a lot. All right. Have a good one. Take care. This phone drives me crazy. Excuse me, I'm the Sprinter and from Sprint. Try my new iPhone XR with an amazing liquid retina display. This is amazing. Mind if I snap a few photos? Look at that color. I love this display. I, uh, I'm going to need that back. Switch to Sprint and get iPhone XR 64 gigabytes for $0 per month with an eligible trade-in and a Sprint Flex lease. Visit a Sprint store, sprint.com slash iPhone, or call 1-800-SPRINT-1. Phone $0 per month for 18 months after thirty-one twenty-five per month. Credit applied within two bills. If you cancel early, remaining balance due. Excludes tax. Subject to credit. $30 activation fee. Coverage and offer not everywhere. Restrictions apply.